Today is the Lord's Day table meeting, October 21st, 2018. This is message number four of a weekend conference with Brother Ed Marks. The general subject of the conference is enjoying the riches of Christ for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. The title for message four is Enjoying Christ as the Spirit Speaking to the Churches, as the one who has the key of David, and as the one who will dine with the overcomers. The scripture reading is Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 22. Okay, saints, this morning, uh, I feel we come to a very marvelous message. And you can see the title of it is Enjoying Christ. Let's say that together. Enjoying Christ. Okay, now, in what aspects are we enjoying Christ? Enjoying Christ as the Spirit speaking to the churches. Enjoying Christ as the one who has the key of David. We'll see what the key of David is in this meeting this morning. And enjoying Christ as the one who will dine with the overcomers. As the one who will dine with the overcomers. Now, um, well, let me just get into the outline and then I'll, I'll share a little bit. You know, in Roman number one, it says in Revelation two and three, Christ is the spirit who speaks to all the churches. Saints, isn't it wonderful that Christ is still speaking to the churches? Oh, I just tell you, we need to thank the Lord for this. Uh, I think, uh, Let's see, I'm trying to compute the years. I think our brother went to be with the Lord about, uh, what, what is it, 21 years now? or 21 years ago. It's hard to believe that he went to be with the Lord 21 years ago, and yet the Lord has still been speaking to us all these 21 years through the ministry of the age. I'm thankful for what the Lord has left us in print. Uh, you know, one time Brother Lee was sharing, and he said, if you didn't get this message, don't worry, it'll be in print for you to read. So we have so much in print that we can read and dive into, which is still the Lord's current speaking to us. So he's the Spirit who speaks to all the churches. You know, in in First Samuel, I like, uh, of course, Eli... Uh, Samuel learned some negative lessons from Eli that were a warning to him for his whole life. But he learned one positive lesson from Eli. The Lord was speaking to Samuel as a young boy. And he called Samuel. And he said, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel thought it was Eli. So he went to Eli and he said, what do you want? And he said, go back to sleep. I don't want anything. And so that happened a few times. Finally, Eli got the message. He realized this is the Lord speaking to you. So he said, the next time you hear that voice, Samuel, calling you Samuel, you need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that needs to be our attitude every day, especially in this meeting this morning. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So... uh, a says, in Revelation 2 and 3, the speaking of the unlimited, life-releasing, sevenfold intensified pneumatic Christ to the seven churches at the beginning of each epistle, 
You can put the word respectively there. I left that word out. Respectively. At the beginning of each epistle, respectively. Becomes the speaking of the sevenfold intensified, all-inclusive, life-giving spirit to all the seven churches at the end of each epistle, universally. Universally. Now, I'm always touched with these seven epistles. Of course, you have Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, an epistle to Smyrna, an epistle to Pergamos, an epistle to Thyatira, an epistle to Sardis, an epistle to Philadelphia, and an epistle to Laodicea, these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And these were actual local churches, actual local churches. And there's a call from the Lord on his epistle to each church for the overcomers. The Lord wants overcomers. And saints, it's one thing to be in the church. It's another thing to be an overcomer in the church. And don't take the enemy's lie that you can't be an overcomer. You have a capital O overcomer in your spirit. According to Revelation 3, in his epistle to the church in Laodicea, he says, uh, he says uh, that he will, for the overcomers, he said, I will give you to sit with me on my throne. Then he says this, as I also overcame, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So he is the unique overcomer. And he is in our spirit as an overcomer. So we need to contact this overcomer in our spirit all the time and allow him to live himself through us. Another thing, saints, uh, that I'm very impressed with uh, all the time about these seven epistles is the Lord doesn't write directly to the church. He doesn't say to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Smyrna, to the church in Pergamos. He says to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, to the messenger of the church in Thyatira. And what that shows us is without messengers, the Lord has no way to speak to the churches. We all need to aspire to be the Lord's messengers. Now, what is a messenger? Uh, You know, in Malachi, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the Lord is revealed as the messenger of Jehovah of hosts. He is the capital M messenger. And he always has a fresh message from the Lord, from himself to his people. Actually, he's the message. He's not only the messenger, he's the fresh message to us. And so, um, but saints, we all need to aspire to be messengers. Now, what is a messenger? A messenger is someone with a fresh message from the Lord to speak to the Lord's people. So every day we need to have a prayer in us, an aspiration in us, Lord, give me a fresh message today. I want a fresh message from you, not for my spirituality, but for your people. I want a fresh message from you to your people. You know, in Malachi 2, verse 7, I like this verse. It says, the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and men should keep instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of Jehovah of hosts. So we need to have the knowledge of Christ, right? The subjective knowledge of Christ. 
Uh, we need to have the subjective instruction of Christ to live in the kingdom of God. That will make us the messenger of Jehovah of hosts. So we need to be his messengers. It's through his messengers that he speaks to the churches. Without messengers, there's no speaking to the churches. And saints, um, I didn't plan on saying this, but I'll say this right now. Of course, I'll sit down and give you time to share. But saints, when you share, don't take sharing in a light way. It's not a light thing. I've been concerned a little bit. We want everyone to function. I don't want to kill everyone's function. We want everyone to function. But uh, we need to realize to function and to speak for the Lord is a lofty thing, is a noble thing, is a dignified thing, is something very precious and very, uh, very precious, very valuable, invaluable. So uh, when we speak for the Lord, we should have that kind of sensation that I want to speak with a fresh message from the Lord. And we should, and don't let the enemy say you can't speak on the other side. Uh, don't let the enemy quench your spirit, right? You need to speak for the Lord. You need to speak for the Lord. The more you speak for the Lord, the more you'll get perfected to speak. You realize that, right? If I give you a book on baseball, and it talks about how to hold the bat, how to swing the bat, you can, you can read that chapter again and again, but until you get up there and swing the bat, you will not know how to hit a baseball. Right? So every time we share, we get perfected to share more. When we share, I think a lot of our experience is we share and, and uh, we want to share one, two, and three, and then we get up and we forget one, two, and three. And we share three, four, and five. Or three, two, and one. We mix everything up. Then we sit down and we say, oh, I'm not going to share ever again. Well, don't say that. That's from the enemy. Uh, the enemy wants us to keep speaking him, to keep speaking him. But on the other side, don't take speaking him for him in a light way, in a loose way. Uh, I remember when Brother Lee was with us, and he was sitting on the platform, you didn't come to that microphone in a light way. In fact, a lot of people were standing back from the microphone, right? He would say, come to the microphone. And then he would say, he would say this, come to the cross. Come to the cross. In other words, when you come to the microphone, you're coming to the cross. And he said this, when you come to the cross, the cross will become your dining table. Isn't that wonderful? So we need to have that realization and that, uh, that expectation to speak for the Lord, speak for the Lord, so that the Lord can enter into God's people for the building up of the church. Now B says, thus the speaking Christ becomes the speaking spirit, the spirit who speaks to all the churches. Christ speaks to a particular local church, and the Spirit speaks to the universal body. So, at the end of each epistle, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, if we're going to be overcomers, we need to pray, Lord, give me an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
You know, Brother Watchman Nee tells this story in Orthodoxy of the Church that two brothers were walking down the street. Of course, you have street cars in those days and, and just the noise of the traffic and, and the people. And this one brother said to the other brother, Oh, can you hear, can you hear that? I think it was a cricket. Am I right, Jill? Can you hear that cricket? And the one brother went, How can you hear a cricket? In this atmosphere, how can you hear a cricket? He said, come with me, come to the wall. Put your ear to this wall. Sure enough, there was a cricket chirping in the wall. Now, why could he hear that cricket? Because he was an entomologist. He was an entomologist. He was someone who studied insects. Well, we need to be Christologists. We need to be Christified, right? So that when we hear Christ's voice, in the midst of the din and noise of this busy world, right? We want to hear him speak to us. Now, C says, this is not only, this not only indicates that the Spirit is the Lord and that the Lord is the Spirit, but it also emphasizes that in the darkness of the church's degradation, the Spirit is vitally important as indicated by the sevenfold intensified spirit. Now, why do we call the spirit the sevenfold intensified spirit? We have some guests here. Uh, Everything we do has to be based on the word of God. When you come to the book of Revelation, what you see, what we see in Ephesians 4, 4, is that there's one spirit. But when you come to Revelation, it uses this term, the seven spirits. The seven spirits. And the seven spirits, according to Revelation 4 5, are the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And these are the lamps. I wish I had a lampstand behind me. But uh, these, are the la- these are the lamps of the lampstand. Seven lamps of the one lampstand. So if I turn the lampstand this way, it's one lampstand. I turn it this way, it's one lampstand. I turn it the other way, it's seven lamps. It's one lampstand, essentially, it's seven lamps economically and functionally. So in the same way, he is the sevenfold intensified spirit to carry out his economy. He has been intensified sevenfold. It's wonderful. Now, uh, D says... The seven epistles in Revelation 2 and 3 are words spoken by the Lord Jesus. But today when we read them, when we read them, I appreciate our brother, uh, our brother's honesty and his conviction from the Lord to read the Bible. Saints, we should read the Bible, right? We are Bible readers. And when you get to the end of the Bible, don't say, oh, I've read the Bible. You know, I'm not going to read anymore. No, start again and read the Bible again. It is a living book with God's living speaking in it. So we need to be Bible readers. Our blood needs to be Bibleized. Hallelujah. Today when we read them, the seven spirits of God speak these words to us in our spirit for the purpose of God's economy. Now God's unique purpose is is to dispense himself into us day by day. 
So what God's unique purpose in this meeting is for him to dispense himself into you. So to pray simple prayers is not a small thing. To get up in the morning and say, Lord, dispense yourself into me all day long today. Now, if you pray that, do you think he's, you think he's going to say, well, I don't care for that so much. I'm not going to do that. Well, this is his unique purpose, to dispense himself into us day by day. So we're praying back his desire. Then he responds to that prayer and does, does according to his prayer. Now, D goes on to say, the Lord's word at the beginning of each epistle is to a certain local church. But when the people from all the ages read it, it becomes the Spirit speaking to all the churches, all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the churches. So in other words, Ephesus needs to hear what the Lord spoke to Laodicea. Laodicea needs to hear what the Lord spoke to Pergamos. Pergamos needs to hear what the Lord spoke to Sardis. Sardis needs to hear what the Lord spoke to Thyatira. We need to hear all seven epistles. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now E says, let's read E together. Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit speaking is Christ infusing. And the speaking of the Spirit always turns us to the infusing of Christ. You know, I told you this story before. I was in the hospital one time because I had an infection, and antibiotics couldn't take away the infection. So they had to give me, a, a, you know, put intravenous antibiotics in my in my veins, you know. So, so they, they stuck that needle in, and they had this machine off to the side, and there was a light there, and it said, infusing. I went, praise the Lord. Infusing, infusing. Then, after it got done giving me my portion of antibiotics, it went ding, and I looked at the machine, it said, infusion complete. Tell you, that's how we should be in our times with the Lord in the morning, in our personal times with the Lord. Infusing. Even in this meeting, the light is on. Infusing. And of course, the infusion will be complete when we're raptured, right? Actually, when we're raptured, when he Christifies our spirit, soul, and body, then the infusion is complete. But we need his constant infusing. We have 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18 on here. I would go back to verse 15, because verse 15 says, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. That means whenever they read the Bible, a veil lied on, lies on their heart, which means their turned away heart was the veil. When the heart, and then it, and then it says, But whenever their heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Well, saints, it is not a small thing to turn your heart to the Lord. Because when you turn your heart to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and the Lord is a spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, like a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. Now, um, you know, this, this uh, matter of beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, where is the glory of the Lord? Of course, the glory of the Lord is in our spirit. But in particular, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is in the presence of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ. Then verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not out of us. So what does this treasure refer to? If you look in the stream magazine, there's fellowship on 2 Corinthians, and it talks about the treasure of his face. The treasure of his face. Because it says, we have this treasure. Now you have to, you have to go back to verse 6 to, to find out what this treasure is. This treasure is the face of Jesus Christ. This treasure is not a doctrinal Christ. This treasure is not a theoretical Christ. This treasure is the actual face, presence, and person of Jesus Christ. So when we, be, when we turn our hearts to the Lord in our spirit, we are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. It's wonderful. Our Christian life should be from glory to glory. You know, in Exodus 34, 29, it says concerning Moses when he came down from the mount. It says the skin of his face shone by reason of God speaking with him. The skin of his face shone by reason of God speaking with him. Have you ever seen a shining saint? Has anybody ever seen a shining saint? You know, we can be shining saints or we can, we can be like, I, I guess it's hard for me to do that. <clears throat> because we need to be shining saints. You know, when I came to my first meeting, it was a prayer meeting. Now, for your first meeting to be a prayer meeting, that's, that's not that easy. I mean, I never heard people pray like that before. Amen. Amen. You know, with strong amens. And, and they were praying, Lord, scatter us, scatter us. And I was there, Lord, why do they want to be scattered, Lord? And, of course, they were pray reading uh, the verses in Acts where it says that they were scattered everywhere. And they preached the gospel everywhere they went. So they were asking the Lord to scatter them. Well, I just could not enter into the prayer. And so uh, I was brand new, you know. And uh, I was afraid to look up after the prayer meeting. So, But finally, I looked up, and there was this brother sitting across from me, and he was shining. His, I can still see his face. He's with the Lord now, but he beamed Christ into me. He was shining. I tell you, saints, we all need to be beamers. That's not BMWs. 
Isaiah 60, verse 5, I've shared this before here, but Isaiah 60, verse 5 says, You shall see and you shall be. I think it says, And your heart will swell with joy and you'll be in awe. Uh, that's how we should be. We should see the Lord and beam the Lord into people. Beam him into people. Okay, now let's, let's read one under E. Whenever we listen to the speaking of the seven spirits of God to the churches, we are immediately under a precious, sweet, and dear transfusing. An infusing that changes us, transforms us, makes us the proper material, and builds us into God's building. Two says, whatever must go to the lake of fire is burned away by the seven lamps. And now we are under the seven eyes. Not only is the sevenfold intensified spirit signified by the seven lamps of fire, which are the seven lamps of the lampstand, the sevenfold intensified spirit is also signified in Revelation 5, 6 as the seven eyes of the lamb. Seven eyes of the lamb. And of course, many times you can transfuse your thought and your feeling into people just by your looking at them, right? Just by your looking at them. If my wife looks at me, I mean, I'm at the dinner table and I say something that maybe she doesn't care for and she goes like this, and I realize, whoa, I said something I shouldn't have said uh, because her feeling is in her look. She doesn't do that that often. But anyway, uh, our feeling is in our look, right? Is in our look. So Lord transfuses his feelings into us by looking at us with his seven eyes, with his seven eyes. Okay, it says, now we are under the seven eyes, being infused with all that Christ is, in order that we may, be, we may become a part of the new Jerusalem. Saints, we are not going to the new Jerusalem. We are becoming the new Jerusalem. We are building the new Jerusalem. Always remember that the new Jerusalem is a person, a corporate person, and we are becoming the new Jerusalem we are becoming the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And that's what the New Jerusalem is. Okay, now we come to F. F says, even though the believers in the churches are in a position to hear the Spirit speaking, and thus, and thus can easily have ears to hear, can easily have ears to hear, not all of them will closely follow his speaking. Hence, there is the call for the overcomers. Saints, we need to closely follow his speaking. You know, in Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 24, uh, I'll, read, I'll read before this. No, I'll start with verse 23. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, people heard his voice, but they didn't really hear him. You know, it's one thing to hear the, hear the words, you know, audibly. But it's another thing to really hear. You know, I wrote this verse down, Matthew 13, 15, from the Amplified Version. He says, this nation's heart has grown gross, fat, and dull. And their ears are heavy and difficult of hearing. And their eyes, they have tightly closed lest they see and perceive with their eyes 
and hear and comprehend the sense with their ears and grasp and understand with their heart and turn and I should heal them and I should heal them. So we need to have an ear to hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the Lord went on in Mark 4.24. He says, and he said to them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you, and it shall be added to you. Then verse 25 says, for he who has, it shall be given to him. And he who does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Now what does this mean? This means that the measure that can be given to us by the Lord depends on the measure of our hearing. How much are we open to hear the Lord speaking? Uh, It depends on the measure that that can be given to us by the Lord depends on the measure of our hearing. As much as we can hear, that much he will give. That much he will give himself to us. So we need to have an ear to hear. Now Jesus... Those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches should hear. And those who hear will be overcomers. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, Anyway, if you know where that is. uh, You just have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then you will be an overcomer. Now one says, the Lord always wants to open our ears to hear his voice so that we may see things according to his economy. In Revelation 1, 10 through 12, uh, John heard the Lord's voice. And then he says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and one in the midst of the lampstands, like the Son of Man. Jesus was in the midst of the lampstands, in the midst of the churches. So the Lord always wants to open our ears to hear his voice. In in Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5, this describes Christ's human living when he was a man. And this needs to be duplicated in us. He said, Jehovah has given me the tongue of the instructed, that I should know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. Saints, the Father woke the Lord up morning by morning. Isn't that wonderful? When you set your alarm, don't just set your alarm and say, Lord, wake me up tomorrow morning. Lord, wake me up tomorrow. That's a good prayer to pray. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as an instructed one. And he says, the Lord Jehovah has opened my ear. So we need our ear to be awakened by the Lord. We need our ear to be opened by the Lord. We need to hear as an instructed one, as a disciple. Then we will have the tongue of an instructed one to sustain the weary ones with a word. With a word. You know, last night, uh, last night I was very tired because I'm still adjusting to the time zones and uh, you know, of course, some of you know, I was in Japan, and then I went to Ethiopia, and I went to California, and so my time zones are all mixed up. And so I was very tired last night, and uh, I set my alarm, and, 
And I had a prayer, Lord, wake me up tomorrow morning. Wake me up tomorrow morning. And so uh, it was so wonderful. Uh, well, anyway, I won't tell you the whole story. But the end of the story is this. Uh, I woke up, and it was a half hour before I set the alarm. I was so thankful. I said, thank you, Lord Jesus. I needed that half hour. Spend more time with the Lord. You see, anyway, uh, he'll wake you up. He'll be faithful to wake you up. Don't just depend on your alarm clock. And just don't depend on his waking you up. Have Have an alarm clock to cooperate with him, right? You need both. You need both. Okay. Now, two says, the heavy ears need to be circumcised. This is what Jeremiah 6.10 says, Acts 7.51. That means that we need to cut off the flesh. Uh, if we're fleshly, if we're fleshy, we won't have an ear to hear the Lord's voice. So we need to be, we need our ears to be circumcised. And I like Philippians 3.3. 3. It's a good verse to pray. Paul says, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. In other words, we are the ones who cut off the flesh. We have nothing to do with the flesh. We are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We need to pray that verse. and The Lord will make that real to us. Now, 3 says, The sinner's ears need to be cleansed with the redeeming blood and anointed with the Spirit. Of course, in Leviticus 14, uh, in these verses in Leviticus 14, the blood of the trespass offering was put on the lobe of the right ear of the priest, was put on uh, his thumb, the right thumb, and was put on his big toe of his right foot. Of his right foot. This is very significant. After the blood, the ointment was put on, which signifies the spirit. So first the blood, and then the ointment. First the blood, and then the spirit. And of course, what this means is we need to be those who listen to the word of God. We need to be those who do with our hands. We do the things of God. And we need to be those who walk in the ways of God. We listen to the word of God, we do the things of God, and we walk in the ways of God. Then four says, to serve the Lord as priests, we must have our ears cleansed with the redeeming blood. Cleansed with the redeeming blood. So again, uh, just as with the sinners or the lepers, with the redeeming blood and the spirit, the priests needed to have their ears cleansed with the redeeming blood so that they could hear God's word. Now, 5 says, as the Spirit is speaking to the churches, we all need an open, circumcised, cleansed, and anointed ear to hear the Spirit speaking. Let's say that together. The Spirit speaking is regarding the seven kinds of churches in church history. Now, these churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were actual local churches, actual local churches. And when we read them, we might think, 
Oh my goodness, and Thyatira, Thyatira has the teaching of Jezebel. I think I'll migrate to Philadelphia. Uh, well, the Lord doesn't tell them to migrate. He tells them to overcome that situation in Thyatira. And each church, you're supposed to be an overcomer, to overcome that situation and that condition. Uh, but the seven churches also signify the seven kinds of churches in church history, which is very illuminating. If you read them in this way, you have the initial church, which is Ephesus. You have the suffering church, which is Smyrna. You have the worldly church, which is Pergamos. You have the apostate church, which is Thyatira. You have the reformed church, typified by Sardis. You have the recovered church. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be in the recovered church? Typified by Philadelphia. And you have the degraded recovered church, Laodicea. Now, strictly speaking, the church in Philadelphia in this timeline cannot go back and become like Ephesus, Pergamos, Sardis. The only thing that can happen to Philadelphia is that she becomes Laodicea. She becomes the degraded, recovered church. And we don't, that's why we need to take that epistle to Laodicea very seriously, because we don't want to degrade into Laodicea. Now, one says, the last four kinds of churches will remain until the Lord comes back. I'll wait for you to turn. Okay, you have the apostate church, which is, you could say that's Roman Catholicism. You have the reformed church, which signifies Protestantism. You have the recovered church, which signifies the church of brotherly love, where we just love the Lord and love all the brothers. That's what we do. When we stand on the ground of the church, and we stand as the church, we're the church, right? Are we the church? We're the church. And there's no denominations in the Bible. There's no Baptists in the Bible. John the Baptist was not a Southern Baptist. He was a baptizer, right? So there's no denominations. There's just the one church. And if you happen to be in a locality, you are the church in that locality. It's very simple, right? It's just like the moon. If you're in New York and you look at the moon, it's one moon, but it's the moon in New York City. Just like the church in New York City. If you're in Los Angeles, it's the moon in Los Angeles. The one moon manifested and expressed in different localities. Very simple, very pure, yet very profound. So this is the recovered church. Uh, Now, it says the last four kinds of churches will all remain until the Lord comes back. Now, how do we know this? How do we know this from the Word? Well, if you read these seven epistles carefully, you will see that in the first three churches, there's no mention of the Lord's coming back. But in the last four churches, the Lord's coming back is mentioned in each case. So that shows that we will have these stages of the church with us uh, until the Lord comes back. To me, it's very simple. Where do you want to be? You want to be in the apostate church? The Reformed Church, the Recovered Church, or the Degraded Recovered Church. I like to be in the Recovered Church. 
Don't you want to be there? When we stand on the ground of the church, we are choosing to love all the brothers. To love all the brothers, regardless of where they meet or what they're... As long as they believe in the Lord Jesus, as long as they receive the Lord as their life and Savior, they are our brothers and sisters. And we love them, right? So we choose to love all the brothers and sisters. Now, uh, I remember Watchman Nee made this statement. He says, just because you choose to love all the brothers doesn't mean that all the brothers will love you. Which is true. We will be misunderstood. Misunderstood just by simply standing on the proper ground of the church. But we need to stand on the ground of the church for the sake of all the brothers and sisters. Now, two says, undoubtedly, only the recovered church can fulfill God's eternal purpose, and only she is what the Lord is after. We must take the Lord's choice. Now, three says, Laodicea is a distorted Philadelphia, having lukewarmness and spiritual pride. We need to pray, Lord, save me from lukewarmness. Save me from spiritual pride, Lord. Save me from thinking, oh, I know that. I've heard that. I've done that. Then you're lukewarm or you're proud. You say, oh, I know way more than, or John might say, oh, I know way more than Brother Ed. Uh, and then, <laughs> then that's spiritual pride, right? We need to beware of spiritual pride and lukewarmness and lukewarmness. The Lord says to Laodicea, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, he says, you say, I am wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing. Can you imagine saying that? I have need of nothing. You're coming to a meeting, you have need of nothing. That's terrible to come that way. In order to enter into the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, all of us need to turn and become like little children. And become like little children. And he says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now A says, Laodicea means to know everything, but in reality to be fervent about nothing. In name, it has everything, but it cannot sacrifice its life for anything. It remembers its former glory, but forgets its present condition before God. Saints, all that matters is, do we have the present presence of God? That's what matters. We can't say, oh, I had the presence of God yesterday. Yes, you did. That's wonderful. But we want the present presence of God every day. Now, B says... If we want to continue in the way of Philadelphia, we must remember to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Of course, in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, it says, Thus says the high and exalted one who inhabits eternity. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He said, I will dwell in the high and holy place and with the contrite and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. 
in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, uh, he says, I'll, I'll just try to condense these verses. He says, where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made. And so all these things have come into being, declares Jehovah. But then he says this, but to this kind of man I will look. In other words, man is God's dwelling place. But what kind of man? To him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And who trembles at my word. Saints, uh, the just be humbling ourselves before the Lord and being on the ground of oneness. This is why the church and the Lord's recovery has revelation and the presence of the Lord and expresses the Lord in a living way, full of light and with the riches of life. And with the riches of life. So, uh, in Philadelphia, he said this to Philadelphia. He said, Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Saints, there is an open door to the Lord's recovery which no one can shut. You go to Ethiopia and you should hear those brothers and sisters' testimonies. It is so precious. They read the normal Christian church life. They read a number of books by Watchman E. So they realized we need to meet as the church in Addis Ababa. We need to meet as the church. So before they did that, they wanted to find out if anyone else was meeting that way, and they couldn't find anyone else. Well, they went to another group, uh, which was somewhat in the ministry, but was negative, but was negative. And they went to that group, and they said to, them, they said to one another, they said, you know, this doesn't taste like the ministry we've been enjoying. So they, they, they just left that group there. And, uh, and anyway, they thought they were the only ones standing on the ground of oneness. The only ones standing on the ground of oneness. Then they got online, and they found out there's local churches all over the world. Isn't that wonderful? And they, they found out there's a, there was a brother, not just, there's not just Watchman Nee, but there's a brother by the name of Witness Lee. And because Brother Lee was so one with Brother Nee, some of the brothers thought that Witness Lee was Watchman Nee's wife. Can you imagine that? Oh, we laughed so hard when we heard that. Well, anyway, Brother Lee was so one with Brother Nate. You know, you just, they speak the same thing, right? So, <laughs> he puts before us an open door which no one can shut. He says, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, to have a little power means that what pleases the Lord is not our doing much for Him, but our doing our best for Him with what we have. So we need to do our best for the Lord with what we have. And to keep the Lord's Word, of course, you can say the Lord's recovery, you can hit it from a lot of angles. It's to say amen to God's Word. Whatever's in God's Word, we say amen to it. We don't say, oh, this doesn't fit in our century, right? Well, it does fit. It does fit. The Word of God is the Word of God, and we say amen to God's Word. Amen. We keep His Word. And we also keep His Word by pray-reading His Word, by praying over His Word, by receiving His Word with prayer, in prayer, 
by prayer and through prayer so that we can digest the word. And we don't deny his name, which means that we don't take any other name other than the name of Christ. Christ is our husband. Now, John, you know, I don't know if Jeanette's here this morning. She's probably babysitting her. Is she here? Oh, hi, Jeanette. Praise the Lord. What? Oh, okay. Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, now, John, just think if Jeanette decided to call herself Jeanette Smith. Would you be happy about that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You would have a talk with her, right? You would say, Jeanette, you can't do this. You're my wife, right? It's just like when I got married to my wife. I, I just got married. I dropped her off at work. And uh, I needed to tell her something. I forgot. So I called her work. And I said, is Ruth Harbach there? They said, there's no one here by that name. Ruth Harbach. I said, I just dropped her off. And then I said, oh, is Ruth Marks there? Oh, yes, Ruth Marks is here. Ruth Marks is here. So anyway, when we get married, we take another name. Saints, we are the bride of Christ. And we just take his name. We don't deny his name. And not to deny his name subjectively also is to call on his name. We call on his name. This is not to deny his name. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral two. In the recovered church, Philadelphia, Christ is seen as the one upon whose shoulder the key of the treasury of the house of God, typified by the house of David for the building up of the kingdom of God, is set. Is set. Now this comes from the book of Isaiah, uh, which John quoted in his epistle to uh, in his epistle to Philadelphia, he said, Philadelphia, you have the key of David. Where did he get this from? He got this from Isaiah 22. I would like to turn there. Isaiah 22. Let's see here. Isaiah 22. Praise the Lord for the Bible. Isaiah 22. And I, I like to begin with verse 15. What there was in this, in this picture here, there, are two, there were two stewards. Two stewards. Christ is the real steward in God's house. This is the only portion of the word which has a type of Christ as the steward in God's house who dispenses himself with all of his riches into us. But there was another steward. And it says in verse 15, Thus says the Lord Jehovah of hosts, Get up, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the king's house, and say, in other words, there was a steward named Shebna. That signifies ourself. Ourself. Ourself is not good, right? We need to deny ourselves. We need to reject ourselves. And the Lord says, What are you doing here? If you come to the meeting in yourself, The Lord will say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And whom do you have here? That you have hewn a tomb for yourself here. As he who has hewn a tomb on the heights. As he who has cut out a resting place for himself in the rock. I like this. Jehovah soon throws you far away, O mighty one. 
and he grasps you firmly. He will wind you up tightly like a ball. He will toss you into a wide land. Now, if Jehovah wants to take your, yourself, S-E-L-F, that you need to deny, he wants to wind it up like a tight ball and throw it into a wide land. Now, if Jehovah throws yourself into a wide land, that is pretty far. I don't know how far it is, but he has a very good arm. He has a very good arm. I remember there was this one baseball player I used to go watch when I was younger. And he had such a powerful throwing arm. One time he made an error. He, he played in right field. And he threw the ball from right field all the way into the stands on the third base side. I said, wow, what a rocket of an arm. Listen, the Lord would, have, would throw this ball over the roof into a into a wide land. He says, there you will die. And there the chariots of your glory will become the disgrace of the house of your master. And I will drive you from your position and from your standing. He will pull you down. And in that day, I will call to my servant Eliakim, that typifies Christ, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your tunic. I will strengthen him with your girding sash. I will put your dominion into his hand, and he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will set the key of the house of David upon his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Now the fact that God puts the key upon his shoulder indicates this is a big key. This is not a key that you unlock your house with or a key that you turn your motor. Nowadays, you push a button, right? And you can turn on your car. But anyway, if you still have a key, that's a small key. But this was a massive key because the key to the treasury of God's house had a massive door that, create, that contained uh, untold treasures typifying Christ. Typifying Christ. So A says... A says, to the recovered church, Christ is the one who has the key of David, the key of the kingdom, with authority to open and shut. The Lord has given the recovered church in the one accord an open door that no one can shut. Saints, remember, the one accord is the master key to every blessing in the New Testament. It's the master key to every blessing in the New Testament. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of being in the one accord. One time we were going out knocking on doors, and the brothers told us, when you go out and knock on doors, don't contact anyone that's outside their house. Make sure they're inside their apartment or their house. Well, sure enough, I was with a brother and a, and a sister, and we were knocking on doors, and this couple came outside of their apartment. And he went and preached, started preaching the gospel to them. And inside... I just said, oh, this brother is doing the wrong thing. We were just told not to preach the gospel to people outside their house. Well, what happened was uh, I had to turn to the Lord. I had to take that Shebna in me and throw it into a far land, right? Anyway, they came back in their apartment. They got saved and baptized. 
Isn't that wonderful? I learned a big lesson there. What matters the most is the one accord. It's not right and wrong. It's the one accord. Now B says, the key of David opens the door for us to be transformed into a white stone and built into the house of God as a pillar with the name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and the new name of the Lord. That means that what God is, the nature of the new Jerusalem, and the person of the Lord have all been wrought into the overcomer. Have all been wrought into the overcomer. And the overcomer has the new name of the Lord. This is Christ experienced by the overcomers in a new way. In a new way. And no one knows that name except the overcomers who receive that new name. Now one says, for us to be built into God, become a constituent of the new Jerusalem, and become a part of the new Christ is humanly impossible. But the law of the spirit of life within us contains an element that deals with impossibility. Isn't that wonderful? The fact that we're all here this morning shows that the law of the spirit of life has an element in it that deals with impossibility. Because we were all impossible cases, right? And we're still impossible cases in ourselves, right? So we need to take Eliakim as our inner steward so that he can dispense himself into us and deal with any impossible element in our being. Okay, now two says, Christ has the key to control the door of God's treasury in which are the riches of God in Christ for our enjoyment. We have experienced both his opening and his shutting up of these riches to us. Of course, if we're in the self, uh, if we're in the flesh, he'll shut up the door of God's treasury to us. But if we exercise our spirit, turn our heart to the Lord, that door will be wide open to us. Our spirit will be wide open, and we will enjoy all the riches of Christ that are contained in our spirit. Now, under 2a says, in order to enjoy his riches as the treasure, I like this, we need to remain in the touch with the Lord. Not just remain in touch with the Lord, but remain in the touch with the Lord. That's very significant. There's something called the touch with the Lord. Remain in the touch with the Lord. If you touch the Lord, if you remain in the touch with the Lord, he will infuse himself into you. You remember when that, when that woman uh, with a hemorrhage for 12 years, you remember? She went to all kinds of physicians. No one could help her. And she saw the Lord coming. And there was a big crowd around him, pressing on him. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so, somehow she made her way through the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment. Immediately she was healed. And the Lord said, who touched me? And Peter said, what do you mean, Lord, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching you. But it's one thing to crowd around the Lord. It's another thing to really touch the Lord. We need to remain in the touch with the Lord. Staying in contact with the Lord according to the sense of life, to be poor in spirit and pure in heart. Now B says, in order to enjoy his riches as the treasure, 
We need to learn to exercise the keys. These are the keys of the kingdom. The keys of denying the self, taking up the cross, and losing the soul life. All of us are Shebnas who should be removed and replaced by Christ for him to be everything in us and to us and do everything through us and for us. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral three. In the degraded recovered church, Christ is seen as the one who will dine with the overcomers and give the overcomers to sit with him on his throne as he also overcame and sat with his father on his throne. So A says, the Lord says this to the church in Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. One says the door here is not the door of the hearts of individuals, but the door of the church. In other words, the Lord's presence is outside the church. That's a terrible place to be in, right? But it goes on to say, the Lord as the head of the church is standing outside the degraded church, knocking at her door. The door is the door of the church, too, says, but the door is opened by individual believers. The church in Laodicea has knowledge, but she does not have the Lord's presence. Now, three says, in the eyes of the Lord, the degraded, recovered church is wretched because she is proud of being rich in the vain knowledge of doctrine, but in reality is sorely poor in the experience of the riches of Christ. You know, brothers and sisters, I come back to this point. If we're going to be rich in Christ, we need to learn how to listen to the Lord. How to listen to the Lord. And to listen to one another. Many times the saints are speaking and we're not listening to them. We don't listen to them. The Lord is speaking through them and we're not listening. We're listening to some, I don't know, something in our mind. or And uh, we don't listen. You know, Brother Lee, he listened to the saints when they shared. He was a very close listener. I still remember one time a brother shared, and Brother Lee went like this to me. He goes, Ed, have you ever seen that before? And inwardly I said, what does he see, Lord? What does he see? Well, he saw a lot through that one testimony. Anyway, I could give a whole message on what he saw now. But it, it was just remarkable, remarkable. He read the stones on the breastplate, just like the high priest. Okay, I'll go to two. She's miserable because she is naked, blind, and full of shame and darkness. She's poor because she is poor in the experience of Christ and in the spiritual reality of God's economy. She's blind because she lacks true spiritual insight in the genuine spiritual things. And she's naked because she does not live by Christ or live Christ as her subjective righteousness as the second garment in her daily walk. We don't just need the garment of Christ as our righteousness. We need the garment of Christ as our subjective righteousness, our lived out righteousness. Now, four says, the Lord is dealing with the whole church, but the acceptance of the Lord's dealing must be a personal and subjective matter. Five says, to dine with the Lord is not merely to eat one item of food, but to partake of the riches of a meal, a feast. 
This may imply the fulfillment of the type of the children of Israel eating the rich produce of the good land of Canaan, which we talked about last night. This implies eating the produce, the rich produce of the good land of Canaan. So, every meeting should be a feast, especially a church meeting. Every church, well, this is a ministry meeting. Every church meeting should be a round table meeting. Even in a ministry meeting, we always try to give room for the saints to speak because we want it to be a round table meeting. What does that mean? You know, round table where you, where you can, especially Chinese food. If you go to a, a, a Chinese banquet, oh, they have so many ways to cook beef. Beef with broccoli, Kung Pao beef. Anyway, I don't remember the other kinds of beef. But there's all kinds of beef, all kinds of chicken, all kinds of fish, right? Uh, we went to this one Chinese restaurant in Taipei. Uh, this elderly dear sister took us there. And the man took us in the back. And he said, okay, which fish do you want? And somebody pointed that fish right there. It's a big fish. He took out a club and just hit that fish on the head. Boom! And then he served that fish to us in many different varieties. Listen, the ministry has hundreds of ways to cook the same beef, which is the processed triune God. We even had fish head soup. Can you imagine that? There's soup in the middle with a fish head sticking out of it. I couldn't do that one. I couldn't do that one. Anyway, uh, but I had the other, the other things. Okay. Now, 6 says, Through our enjoyment of Christ as the tree of life, the hidden manna, and the feast, we will be mingled with him in our constitution as one entity in order to express him as the new Jerusalem. B says, He who overcomes to him I will give to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Now these points are precious. I will just have time to read them, but please follow closely. To sit with the Lord on his throne will be a prize to the overcomer, that he may participate in the Lord's authority and be a co-king with him in ruling over the whole earth in the coming millennial kingdom. In the coming millennial kingdom. Saints, you are a king. Let me say that again. You are a king. You have the king of kings in your spirit. Eventually, I believe it's Revelation 22.5. It says, we shall reign forever and ever. Not only does the Bible say he shall reign forever and ever, it says we shall reign forever and ever. So we need to reign in life in this age and get ourselves prepared to reign in life in the next age and for eternity. Okay, did I read one, brothers, under B? Okay, now we come to two. God's intention is to work himself into man and to work on man in order that man can be on the throne. His desire is to make us people of the throne. Three says, through his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the Lord Jesus was brought to the throne. A real man whose name is Jesus, is on the throne. Saints, there's a man on the throne. 
Now today the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the universe, is a man. This is why we declare Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus is Lord. This is why we call, oh Lord Jesus. Because this man is the Lord. This man is the Lord. Uh, you know, when he appeared in resurrection, especially to Thomas, Thomas looked at him and he said, my Lord and my God. That means Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our God. He's not just, he's God in the Godhead. We become God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead. But Jesus is the embodiment of the entire Godhead. He is our Lord. A man is my Lord. A man is my God. Isn't that wonderful? The man Jesus. And the Lord didn't rebuke Thomas. He didn't say, oh, Thomas, you're, you're a little bit too much here. He said, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, you know, with their physical eyes, and, and will believe. That's us. We're blessed because we believe this man is on the throne. Now, uh, 4 says, the Lord Jesus led the way to the throne. He was the pioneer, the forerunner, cutting the path to the throne. He has cut the path and taken the lead so that we may follow. Five says, now we are marching to the throne. For God intends to bring us into glory and to set us on the throne. God desires to manifest himself through man, and he desires to reign, to administrate through man. God's intention is to cast Satan down and to redeem many of those taken captive by Satan and bring them to his throne. Finally, 6 says, We have been called to be sons of God, and we are destined to be kings. But we need God to work in us and on us to qualify us for kingship. For kingship. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I'll stop there. We have, uh, I wish we had more time because of the table. We have less time this morning. But uh, anyway, Jim will tell us how much time we have. Before we testify, let's pray with our neighbor for a minute. And then we'll have some testimonies.